So last time took a lot of heavy lifting to work through the Lego exterior and reveal the philosophy that was hiding underneath. So for this episode, I decided to go with something a little more classically philosophical. Gattaca. And while a beautiful movie that raises lots of worthy questions, we're not exactly breaking through to any novel philosophical understanding like with a Lego movie. Man, that was quite the effort. That was an effort. It was right there. We just lit the path. Hmm. There's got to be a Wizard of Oz joke there somewhere. You know, yellow brick road, Lego people are yellow, but I'm too tired to figure it out. Yeah, that's racist, man. What? That's not racist. They're, <laughs> they're literally yellow. I will not stand for this slander, my friend. But speaking of racism, there isn't racism in the world of Gattaca either. Oh, wait. Hang on. Theme song. Don't be Aristotle by your Plato knowledge, cause we got our game I like. We'll Vinny Vitty Vici and Mustachio Nietzsche, and we'll never miss the marks, cause I'm awesome, he's heathen, and this is our podcast show. Welcome back to our lovely show where we make philosophy relevant and make it make sense all through the lens of simple pop culture. Philosophy is important. Let us show you how. He's wholesome, and I'm heathen. So today's movie, Gattaca, is all about genetic engineering. Even the title of the movie comes from the peptides, nucleotides, whatever the building blocks of DNA are. Adenine, timine, G, and C. <laughs> G and C, yes, the, the famous building blocks. Um, you clearly didn't pay enough attention to biology class. Uh, you, you don't remember the last two? What they stand for isn't particularly important, since uh, we're not a microbiology show. But as a refresher, DNA is made up of A, T, G, and C. And all DNA for every living thing in the world is made up of those four blocks, repeating in different combinations. So that's how we get the name Gattaca. We should make an action movie version of Gattaca that's called Gattaca, but we capitalize the first three letters so there's emphasis on the GAT. Gattaca. <laughs> that is uh, actually absolutely brilliant, and maybe you should start writing that script. But uh, back to this movie. This takes place in an unknown near-ish future. There's actually nothing futuristic about it that I recognized. Culture hasn't changed much, and... The clothes almost regressed? It's like men in black with dark suits everywhere, except they're all double-breasted suits, so kind of like Tommy Gun mobsters. It seems more like the 1920s than like the 2120s. My mom always said fashions go in cycles, but it's still a future world and it's dystopian, right? Yeah, yeah. It's one of those societies where everyone is assigned their role. Think Brave New World or Hunger Games might be more familiar. Or Anthem by Anne Rand. We should, we should do an episode about Ayn Rand, actually. She's a very polarizing figure. That'd be delightful. <laughs> or, or like Divergent or Bioshock or Half-Life. You nerd. Oh, sure. Yeah, you reference philosophical texts that no one reads, and that's fine. But I reference games that everyone knows, and that makes me a nerd. Whatever. Accurate summation. Yeah, that's, that's actually correct. <laughs> so, so our main character, Jerome, works for the space agency. That's what Gattaca actually is. It's their NASA. He designs flight paths to go to Titan, the largest moon of Saturn. Hey, did you know that Titan has surface liquid, like oceans and stuff? Is that relevant to the plot? No, no, you're right. We've got to make sure that you uh, you stop getting sidetracked. So anyway, 
<laughs> anyway, Jerome works in a highly prestigious job, and the voiceover tells us that for Jerome, selection for this role was virtually guaranteed at birth due to his extraordinarily high genetic quotient. But he's not really Jerome. You see, our protagonist was conceived the old school way. Quote, they used to say a child conceived in love has a greater chance of happiness, he tells us. But then he adds, they don't say that anymore. In the time they're living in, seconds after a baby is born, they can analyze a baby's entire DNA through a drop of blood. And then by decoding the genetic sequence, they can determine the likelihood for every type of medical condition. While the baby is still being cleaned up, fresh after birth, a nurse reads off that he has Neurological condition, 60% probability. Manic depression, 42% probability. Attention deficit disorder, 89% probability. Heart disorder, 99% probability. Early fatal potential. Life expectancy, 30.2 years. So it doesn't predict, like, getting into an accident or anything, because that's not genetic. That's happenstance. Yeah, that's outside the scope. But remember that thought. Ten fingers and ten toes. That's all that used to matter, but I imagine not anymore. You see, the invention of genetic testing changed everything. And for their second child, his parents decide to go with what has become the, the new natural way. Eggs and sperm are joined in vitro, extracted from the parents and joined externally. They screen to ensure none of the candidates have any critical predispositions for any major inheritable diseases. But then, go even further. We have in vitro technology now, right? Please, don't interrupt with real life matters. That is not what philosophy is about. <laughs> First, the parents select the sex of the baby. They want their son to have a brother. Then they specify that they want hazel eyes, dark hair, and fair skin. Side note, they're white, so it's nothing odd, but yeah. Then they have this exchange with their geneticist that they're working with. I have taken the liberty of eradicating any potentially prejudicial conditions, uh, premature baldness, myopia, alcoholism, and addictive susceptibility, uh, propensity for violence, obesity, etc. We didn't want, I mean, diseases, yes, but... Uh... Right, we were just wondering if, if it's good to just leave a few things to, to chance. You want to give your child the best possible start. Believe me, we have enough imperfection built in already. Your child doesn't need any additional burdens. That's how his brother, Anton, came into the world. I imagine his brother is healthier, stronger, probably becomes bigger and more athletic than Jerome. What? How'd you guess? <laughs> yeah, the, the first shot that they show after the conversation with the geneticist is the, uh, the old measuring the height of your kid against a doorframe. And younger Anton, at age 8, is already taller than Jerome at age 10. But since Jerome is our main character, let's stick with him. Ever since he was a kid, he has been fascinated with space. Maybe it was the love of the planets, he says. Maybe it was my growing dislike of this one. But for as long as I can remember, I have dreamed of going into space. But when he tells his parents, they say that he has to be realistic. Oh no, don't crutch his dreams. With a heart condition like his, Gattaca isn't going to pick him. There's a chance there's nothing even wrong with my heart, he argues. One chance in a hundred, his father reminds him. And Jerome is willing to take that. But the trouble is that they won't. As tough as that is for a little kid, NASA has strict physical standards for their astronauts. And 
any physical job has fitness requirements. You're bringing the real in again. I'm not actually trying to ignore that. You just said a minute ago that you're not concerned with real things. Why do you listen to what I say? <laughs> Why do I listen to what you say? <laughs> An adult Jerome then says it wouldn't matter how much he lied in his resume. The real resume was in his cells. So don't get it wrong. It's actually illegal to discriminate based on genetics. Genoism, they call it in the movie. But if you refuse to disclose a sample, they can always take a sample from a door handle or a handshake or even the saliva on your application form. Even a test for illegal drugs can easily become an illegal peak at your future in the company. So, due to his weak genetic outlook, Jerome instead becomes a janitor at Gattaca. Oh, but it's dreams. There's a new underclass, no longer determined by social status or the color of your skin. We now have discrimination down to a science. No matter how much he trained or how much he studied, the best test score in the world wasn't going to matter unless he had the blood test to go with it. I know this is a dystopia, but there's got to be something he can try. And there is. Of course. Wouldn't be a story without it. For the genetically superior, success is easier to attain, but it is by no means guaranteed. After all, there is no gene for fate, the movie tells us. Like I was saying about accidents. Cool, 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 cool. You see, Jerome is not actually Jerome. His actual name is Vincent. The real Jerome Morrow had everything going for him genetically, but broke his back and became wheelchair-bound. That's where our main character and Jerome meet. Jerome becomes the genetic profile that Vincent takes on. Ugh, this is getting confusing already. Alright, let's continue calling the main character Jerome and the superior genetics guy in a wheelchair. Uh, let's, let's call him Eugene, his middle name, which, he, which is what he goes by in the movie. Alright. So how does this work? So Eugene prepares blood and urine samples and a ton of other genetic samples like hair and the dead skin that comes off when you rub your skin. So he prepares all of that. And then Jerome wears fake fingertips with some of Eugene's blood underneath for finger prick tests, which is how Gattaca scientists scan in and out of work. And he's got a pee pouch ready for piss tests. He, uh, he leaves a little bit of skin samples behind on his keyboard and a strand of hair on his comb that he leaves at work. So he's doing this whole routine to try to leave fake samples. So Jerome is fully pretending to be a different genetic being? That's insane. But he gets the Gattaca job. When he actually shows up for the job, he goes for a pee test and the interviewer says, congratulations. And when Jerome asks, what about the interview? His question is answered with, uh, that was it. Meaning his genetic sample. How can he possibly keep up this pretending? Oh, dude, there's a heartbreaking line where it's showing how each morning he disposes of as much of his own loose skin, fingernails, and hair as possible. And he says it's, quote, to limit how much of my invalid self I would leave in the valid world. Ugh. But it's a deal that works for them. Jerome pays the rent and keeps Eugene in a style that he has become accustomed to, and in return... Eugene prepares the urine pouches, the fingertip blood sachets, and the vials full of other trace material. So, what happens next? I think that's all I need to say to set up the discussion here. Yeah, sweet. So, what's up first? We're not Abbott and Costello again. <laughs> Just throwing that out there, since you said first. I tried. I'll throw in a couple of other parts in a bit, but the genetic testing world is what I really want to explore this episode. Okay, backtracking then. We have in vitro technology right now. We've had it for a little while now, too. I think a few decades. How old is this movie? 97? 1997, I think? 
But yeah, IVF in vitro fertilization has been around for a bit. That part of the movie is fully real. And being able to determine a lot of medical information from DNA has also been around for a while. But being able to get rid of unwanted traits like the geneticist was talking about, the premature baldness, propensity for addiction or violence, cutting out certain traits, that wasn't always around. But it is now, isn't it? With CRISPR and all that? Yeah, it's the biggest thing. And somehow it doesn't feel like it has exploded in the world quite yet. Exploded like gone wrong or exploded like become popular? Become popular. Bro, the two scientists who figured out how to use CRISPR were awarded the Nobel Prize in Chemistry in 2020. Oh, wow. Okay. Maybe it's just me that's newer to it then? Uh, you're clearly the subject matter expert here. Why don't you explain it for us? <laughs> all right. Here's the breakdown, wholesome style. <laughs> so... Our DNA is our entire genetic makeup, and like you said at the beginning, it's made up of endless strings of A, T, G, and C repeating over and over in different combinations. I mean, it's not endless, but yeah. This is wholesome time. Why don't you just take a break? <laughs> so, these different patterns give us different traits like blue eyes or green eyes or brown eyes in the shape of our hair follicles, which determines if you have curly hair or straight hair, and it's the differences in those building blocks that determine everything. Now, CRISPR is a gene editing tool. Basically, it's a way to really clearly cut out one specific segment of DNA and replace it with something else. We can change the DNA for black hair to blue hair. Wait, that cannot be how it works. <laughs> okay, fine. Maybe the blue hair technology isn't quite finished yet, but that is how it works, and we can change brown hair to blonde hair and theoretically change bad genes like Jerome's depression, heart disorder, and that kind of stuff. This is still really new, but it has already been used in plants and mice. And there was one Chinese doctor that super illegally did it on a human baby, but we can put that aside. Wait, no, we can't. He did it illegally? That's a real-life mad scientist. What happened? <laughs> yeah, it was like a regular IVF, but he used CRISPR to change the DNA when it was only a single cell before the normal IVF process began. He called it gene surgery. Okay, okay. Not in any way condoning that scientist's actions, but gene surgery is a good way of understanding it because... That's what you said CRISPR does, right? It precision cuts out DNA? Pretty much. So this isn't even theoretical anymore. We haven't applied it yet, but the science is all there for Gattaca. And we have to figure out how to set up laws to prevent, what what you call it, genetic discrimination? They called it genoism in the movie, or genoist. But yeah, genetic discrimination is clear. So, so what do you think of that? I mean, discrimination isn't super great, so <laughs> we've got to have laws against that yet. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, yeah, but we do discriminate in certain jobs, don't we? For jobs that have a significant physical component, firefighters can't be weak. People in the military have to be fit. And Jerome wants to be an astronaut. Real-life astronaut candidates have to pass a very high physical bar. Yeah, for those kinds of jobs, sure. But it's like how so many jobs today require a college degree, even if you're not using any skills from college for that degree. It's the new minimum in a lot of ways, and it's not necessary. I don't want that to be the new world with genetic editing. The other difference I want to point out is that for our current physical standards, it's an open competition. You're not disqualified because of your genetic probability for stuff. You're disqualified if you don't meet the standard, but you get a chance to try. Oh, and in Gattaca, Jerome doesn't even get to try. The interview is just a blood test, so they don't even test the worker's physical fitness. They do test... Somewhat. There's a scene where Jerome and all his co-workers are on treadmills and hooked up to heart rate monitors to make sure their hearts aren't going crazy. But without the proper genetic code, 
you don't even get to that level, you know? I hate that because it's so against the self-motivation, willpower sort of deal. We're not prisoners to our conditions. We can work past those constraints. Can we? I'm not saying it's easy, but yeah, of course. Just watch any sports montage in history. Ah, right. You're an expert in all things sports. I remember you telling us that previously. All about that sports ball. <laughs> so Gattaca doesn't let people with dirty, inferior DNA in, but they still test their employees to ensure they're living up to their full potential. It's like different levels. You can have great DNA but not live up to your potential and be a couch potato. But with inferior genetics, no matter what you do, you won't get past a certain point. No one exceeds their potential. Can't you though? Come on, root for the underdog. The, the little guy could surprise you every now and then. It's like with professional athletes. Let's, uh, we could focus on basketball players specifically. It's incredible the amount of dedication they all have to their sport. They put in way, way more work than anyone else does. And that's the only way to become that elite and go professional. And even after they're signed, they're killing themselves at practice all the time. Absolutely. And I'm not taking anything away from them to say, even with all that dedicated work and skill, unless you've got the height for it, you're only going to go so far. I'm not saying NBA players are genetically modified to get to that level, unlike Captain America, but... Whoa, random shot at Captain America? I don't accept that. Wasn't he a shrimpy dude before he got pumped full of steroids? That is by no means an accurate portrayal of what happened, but... He was genetically modified. Yeah, okay, yeah, I mean, yes, but only because he was already worthy I to... don't know, my man. Steve Rogers could not have been Captain America without the modification, but that's neither here nor there. I just really enjoy riling you up. <laughs> You're good at it. Back to the basketball players. You got to have a certain genetic component without which... You're not competitive. I, I don't know if I agree with that either. One of the players from Space Jam was really short. What was his name? Muggsy something? Are you thinking Bugsy? Like Bugs Bunny? No, Bugs Bunny was also on the team, but no. Muggsy something or another. Oh, Muggsy. M Muggsy Bogues. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're right. He was the shortest NBA player ever and below average height, actually, too. But that's an exception. So you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> There is a chance, sure, but that's the far exception. The average NBA player height is six foot seven. Hmm. They have this uh, same conversation in Gattaca, and someone asked the flight director, Jerome's boss actually, they ask him, what if someone surpasses their potential? And the flight director says, it would simply mean that we did not accurately gauge his potential in the first place. That's like your thing against giving 110%. It's exactly like that. Yes, I hate that saying. <laughs> I get the intent behind it, but they're either repeating cliches they don't understand or they don't comprehend basic math. It's impossible. And I say that not as a challenge or to be closed-minded, but as... As factual as we are carbon-based beings and we require food. Without food, you die. <laughs> Above 100% is ignoring what percentages mean. Yeah, yeah, cool it, you psycho math nerd. It's just logic, but okay. Let's move on. <laughs> what do you think of the parents meeting the geneticist before they had their second son? Okay, that's definitely a pivotal moment in the film. I get the part about making sure the kid won't have genetic diseases, but they seem to go a bit far. Go on. I mean, the dad brought it up too. He, he said they wanted to leave some things to chance. Even though they picked the kid's hair and eye color. Yeah, that seemed weird. I feel like you could leave those to chance too, but he still felt weird about it when the geneticist said he took out risks that weren't diseases, like premature baldness and likelihood of becoming obese. 
or having an addictive personality. And, and I get it. What, what did the doctor call them? Prejudicial conditions? I get that, but it still felt like it was going too far. That's, that, that's how you get into eugenics. And that's absolutely where this discussion had to lead. Yeah, it's eugenics. But is eugenics bad? Whoa, whoa, can, can you say that? Chill, bro, chill. <laughs> I'm not saying it. This is a philosophy podcast. We just got to ask the questions so we can figure it all out. I'm not stating my opinion. I'm just asking a question. In that case, I've got an answer for you, and it is yes. Yes, eugenics is bad. But what? Yeah, yeah, I know. All right, let's talk about it. (laughs) (sighs) Uh, I love that I am so in your head that you argue against yourself for me. Uh. So... (laughs) Okay, first, first, is the geneticist evil? Is he a bad dude? I, I wouldn't say so, no. He, he's just using his expertise to help out a family. Right, so even if we decide we don't like the outcome, the geneticist isn't necessarily an evil guy. What about the family? They're just trying to give their kid the best start, and we see scenes where toddler Jerome is rejected from some school because the insurance wouldn't cover it since he's more prone to medical issues. So they're trying to set up their kid. So they're not evil either. But what about a counter-argument to what you said about leaving things to chance? Since they're trying to help their offspring, which is every parent's duty, isn't it irresponsible to want to leave things to chance? The geneticist says, You want to give your child the best possible start. Believe me, we have enough imperfection built in already. Your child doesn't need any additional burdens. Isn't not doing so, in a way, overtly choosing not to do all you can do to help your child? That last sentence had a lot of negations, but you're not going to trip me up, no siree. It's not not doing all you can do. It's choosing not to interfere too much, not playing too heavy a hand. But if you can play a heavy hand and choose not, that's the same as actively choosing to play a light hand. You can give your kid more, but you don't want to. Okay, fair, but but you're operating under the assumption that giving your kid as much as possible is the best thing, but I I don't think that's true. Uh, Look at Bill Gates. I don't know how old his kids are at all, but I'm sure they've never been at risk of going hungry or being cold. That's good. A parent should meet basic needs. And I'm also sure they've gotten an awesome education and definitely had super comfortable and cool lives. So Bill Gates set them up, but he said that he's not going to leave them all his money. And other mega billionaires have said the same thing, too. Giving your kids too much money would actually be bad for them. Even love. Love is what your child needs the most. (laughs) But too much love is coddling your kid and won't help them once they go out into this world. Okay. Super strong argument and very fair as well. Thank you. Doing everything possible isn't necessarily good. But are those different levels? If your kid becomes an addict and that comes from their genetic code... That very easily could destroy their entire life and very possibly kill them. And this geneticist is offering to remove that risk, or at least lessen it. They may be different levels of providing for your child, but I still like my reasoning. And again, it turns into eugenics. Oh yeah, let's, uh, let's go more into that. So eugenics comes from the Greek eu, meaning good, and genis, like genesis or generate, like to come into being. So its purpose is to create something good. Yeah, you're making it sound too good. Get to the bad stuff. (laughs) I will, I will. I'm just trying to lay the framework. (laughs) Eugenics is trying to make humans better on a genetic level. 
we take certain plants and cross-pollinate or cross-strain or something else. I don't know. My agriculture vocab needs work. But <laughs> we can pick the traits we want and create better crops. And we do it for dogs and racehorses and farm animals. That's how we get seedless grapes and really tiny teacup Pomeranians and that sort of thing. If you understand genetics, you can manipulate them to get what you want. So the idea in itself isn't bad. It makes sense. But... Yep, yep, big but. Yeah, too easy. I'll let that one slide. <laughs> but the trouble is that <laughs> certain scientists and people got hold of the idea and used it as reasoning to wipe out other people and change the gene pool. Certain scientists and people like Nazis and Hitler. I need you to understand... I do not support eugenics. <laughs> yes, but I need the listeners to understand I don't support it even more. <laughs> okay, okay, yeah. Eugenics is not cool because society is not cool. There's a lot of racism and bigotry baked into society. So the traits that are seen as, quote-unquote, desirable are discriminatory. Hmm. Also, it goes without saying, you can't kill people or control how they reproduce, or at least you shouldn't. <laughs> I'm going to strongly agree with that shouldn't. So even when it doesn't involve killing people, being able to pick things like eye color is weird because it obviously doesn't matter what color your eyes are, but our arbitrary standards of beauty would influence it, and that's not okay. Look at you, taking on beauty standards. I'm so proud of how you've grown up. Okay. You're not my real dad. Um, <laughs> I said that like a 40-year-old man. Um, but yeah, no, I, I I know I'm thinking in a small detail of the eye color thing, but it's really disconcerting. No, I fully agree. I wanted to lay it out first, but yeah, it is disconcerting. And then obviously eugenics gets to be magnitudes more disconcerting because it tends to be racially motivated and white supremacist. I reference my comment about Nazis. But also, I, I want to point out a completely different, non-race-related argument. There's a good argument to be made here that working around limitations breeds creativity and problem-solving that can have greater outcomes than standardized perfection. What do you mean? Personal example, a little bit of a weird one. Going to a drive through haunted house during COVID. They got creative about how to scare you through your car, and it was one of the best haunted house experiences I've ever had. They'd go invisible in the front of the hood of your car and then pop up at your windshield, or they made it look like you're going to smash your car. That's scary stuff. So not being able to do the normal thing forced them to get better. Uniformity isn't the best. Solid real-world example. I dig it. But we're saying meddling with medical stuff is okay, right? So medical stuff is okay. Beauty stuff is maybe not okay. What else, though? How about intelligence? I remember visiting the Cold Spring Harbor Laboratory once, which is huge for genomics, and I learned that intelligence is at least 50% hereditary. What? Is, is that true? Yeah, absolutely. Generally, I say you shouldn't listen to half the stuff I say, but this is in the other half. This is true. <laughs> when you say not to listen to half the stuff you say, is that statement in the half I should listen to or the other half? Are you trying to bait me into a logical paradox? What do you think? Never a straight answer with you, is it? <laughs> or any answer in this case. <laughs> All right, moving on. <clears throat> There's a part where they suspect that someone is faking it at Gattaca, and a detective says, I find it hard to believe he could be one of their elite workers. 
Even if he got past their security system, he wouldn't have the mental faculty or the physical stamina. (laughs) Over-exaggeration, he didn't sound like that at all. (laughs) Uh, But clearly the detective is wrong. Jerome is just as smart as everyone else there. He's not allowed to be there, but once he passed the genetic hurdles, he has proven his worth. That's the central issue the movie is trying to tell us, that we're not limited by our genetics. But I would say we are limited by them, and it's romanticizing it to ignore it. Maybe it'd be more accurate to say we're not entirely limited by our genetics, because that still acknowledges some degree of limitation. I don't like that. There's another scene where Jerome says his heart is 10,000 beats overdue, and when his love interest says that's impossible, he says, they have got you looking so hard for any flaw that after a while, that's all that you see. For whatever it's worth, I'm here to tell you that it is possible. Unfortunately... I'm going to have to go back to what their boss said that other time. If someone passes their potential, the truth is that their potential wasn't accurately measured in the first place. I'm fully with you on being against these genetic barriers, but I'm disagreeing with you regarding whether barriers exist naturally. Speaking of, we're actually already taking on these problems. Don't tell me NASA requires genetic testing now. I don't know about that, but we're trying to be proactive about making sure it doesn't become an issue. Congress passed the Genetic Information Non-Discrimination Act back in 2008, and that bans the use of genetic information for health insurance coverage and hiring, firing, promoting, that sort of stuff. So we're fully making it illegal to do a genetic job interview. We're trying to stop genoism. Good. Ted Kennedy called it the first major new civil rights bill of the new century. What do we call this new frontier of civil rights? It's not racial or sex-based or anything we're used to. Bioethics. Ethics issues from advances in biology and medicine. You know, Newton's third law says every action has an equal and opposite reaction, so for medical advances, makes sense we'll also have new problems. I'm pretty sure that's not even remotely an accurate application of what Newton's law says, but (laughs) I don't know enough to argue against it. Good. I think what you meant to say was, uh, objection overruled. Wholesome's law says wholesome rules and heathen drool. So there. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Besides the stuff we see in the movie, uh, any other issues we can foresee with genetics? Yeah, there's one big one. The gap between poor and rich is increasing at a rate higher than anything we've ever seen. And I'm talking about real life. And that's causing all sorts of socioeconomic issues all over the place. And genetic engineering has a high possibility of making that way, way worse. Mm. Naturally, which would be the group that has greater access to this sort of technology and the means to use it? You're right. The affluent, of course, the well-off. Meaning they would get better, for lack of a different term, they'd get better and better. And Mm. the divide would turn into a chasm. That is a very scary great point. And we can't really ban it either. We've come too far already. Banning hasn't seemed to work for a lot of things, you know. (laughs) But you're right that we've come too far. The Rubicon has been crossed. Pandora's box is open. We can't close it now. Okay, rant time. Pandora's box. According to the story, Pandora opened the box and released all the awful things into the world. She was able to force the box closed just in time so that only one thing remained. Hope. So, like... What? We don't have hope? Don't even know how your own (laughs) mythical box works? That story is stupid. But I digress. (laughs) I get what you're saying. So what do we do? 
Going back to your thing about beauty standards, there's also the possibility that desirable traits keep getting like bought by the rich and eventually they get rid of all physical ugliness, leaving the poor to be the only ugly ones. Wow, that is a whole different level of dystopia. The poor and repressed <laughs> are also ugly. Oh, I just can't get a break. <laughs> so, so how do we solve this? <laughs> I have no solutions. I just bring up the questions. You know, I was really enjoying this episode and almost forgot how insufferable this really is. <laughs> That's why I'm here, my man. Okay, well, if we're not solving any world problems today, I'll just point out other minor but cool stuff from the movie. Ladders play an interesting part. The DNA donor, Eugene, his role in the society is called a borrowed ladder. And in the apartment that Eugene and Jerome share, there's a spiral staircase, as in the spiral shape of DNA. And upward mobility in general is a massive theme in the film, with most imagery involving going up. All the perfect people ride escalators up to the place where they blast into space. <laughs> Even the architecture, which is brutalistic in nature and not garnished with anything other than standardized perfection, has walls and ceilings that slant up. Wait, hold up. Don't walls always slant up? They go up, you, you smart butt. Oh, but they don't slant up. That's, that's called symbolism, my friend. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, I'll point out something. I'll point out that Eugene, the one, the perfect DNA guy, remember how I broke eugenics into its Greek before? Well, Eugene comes from the Greek for well-born. Our main character went by the name of Jerome, but his real name was Vincent. And Vincent means conqueror, which he definitely did. Oh, that's awesome. And, you know, there's more questions, too. Like, there's the pianist with 12 fingers in the film. That implies in this world there's likely genetic engineering in such a way that traditional human body composition just gets chucked right out the window. You could genetically engineer yourself some X-Men with these things. That's a, that's a tad extreme. I, I, I see what you're saying and I like it, but but maybe a bit much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's to, what's to stop, say, parents who want their children to be swimmers from having webbed fingers? Or to stop you from giving your child four arms because Goro is your favorite Mortal Kombat character. Oh, he is, and that is a problem <laughs> for me and my potential children. The implications here are overwhelming. Wait, I gotta pause real quick. You're telling me the part about in vitro fertilization is true. Yeah, of course. And the part about genetic engineering is true with CRISPR. Yep. And we're already tackling issues of genoism. Well, we're trying to make it not an issue, but fat chance of that. So this may be our most terrifying movie analysis because all of it is true. Mm, yeah, that sounds like a fair assessment. Huh. And you have no solution. Also true. And this, folks, is exactly why philosophy matters. Thank you, 2008, for at least trying to make some headway on this issue ahead of time. But it's our ability as philosophers and ethicists that's going to keep things from getting out of hand. There's going to be some very delicate lines to be drawn in the sand. And hopefully those in charge of those decisions are at least as well-researched as us. I mean, probably more, right, with their degrees and such? One can only hope, but who's to say? I feel like there's an appropriate mix of foreboding and hopeful to end our episode on. Uh, the best of both worlds, I agree. Know what we're feeling for next time? Hmm. How about some philosophy? I, uh, I, I don't know what I expected there. <laughs> That's on you. See you next time, folks.
Wholesome and Heathen do not endorse eugenics. Wholesome would like to make it particularly clear that even from a theoretical standpoint, Wholesome does not endorse eugenics. He does, however, support eugenics, the act of naming as many newborn children Eugene as possible. It is an absolutely underrated name. Heathen does not endorse eugenics and says it's stupid and illegal to alter birth certificates, but Heathen has no taste in names, so what does he know? Tell us what name you'd illegally force into swaths of children at wholesomeandheathen.com.